the YDN podcast covering the biggest news stories of each week. We are your hosts, Georgiana Grinstaff and Nick Fillet. In this episode, we are covering Yale's response to the recent spike in COVID-19 cases in addition to the newly enacted isolate-in-place policy introduced on February 9th. Today, we have the opportunity to sit down with Lucy Hodgman, a staff reporter at the YDN whose recent articles highlight the inconsistencies in Yale's isolate-in-place policy. Welcome to the Yale, Lucy. Hi, thank you for having me. Can you give us a general rundown of Yale's isolate-in-place policy? Yeah. So in January, I think it was January 13th, the university announced that should things kind of get to that point where isolation capacity was running out, they would start asking students who had single rooms to stay isolating in their rooms, which is really helpful just because it means that we have basically unlimited isolation space. And isolation capacity is something that comes up a lot if you're asking public health officials, like what are some of the big factors that they use in determining how much Yale can be open or how much they need to keep restrictions in place? Just because once isolation housing starts running out and you don't have places to put people who have COVID, like that's when things start to get a little bit drastic. I've talked to people who say that when you get to 30% capacity only available, that's when you have to start thinking about sending people home. Luckily, you know, if we expand isolation housing to all of the housing, that stops being an issue. But what's happened in the past couple of days and part of what one of my articles was about was just that there have been a couple inconsistencies in terms of people being asked to isolate in place. Theoretically, it should only apply to people who already have single rooms. But in the past couple of days, we've seen just a couple of cases of people who have roommates who don't have COVID testing positive and then being asked to stay in their rooms anyway. How did you find out about these students with COVID positive roommates? Yeah, I mean, it was something that came to me kind of through word of mouth. I've been reporting on COVID since, I guess, the very beginning of break, right before break, which is when we started to see Omicron ticking up a little bit more. So I've talked to people about it all the time. And I have a couple of sources that I go to frequently for students just about what their experiences of COVID have been like and if they're testing positive. And so when word of mouth kind of reached me about a couple of people who I knew who found themselves in the situation... I sort of started, you know, asking around on my usual channels and like asking my friends if they knew anyone and if they knew anybody and like eventually sourcing out a couple of people who found themselves in this experience. But I don't think from at least what I know that it's a super widespread thing. I think most people who should have been moved to isolation housing have been. It's just interesting that some people sort of slipped through the cracks. In your articles, you mentioned that the COVID-19 dashboard states that 76% of isolation housing is currently available. However, this statistic has not changed since January 28th. Why haven't they updated the dashboard? I wish I could tell you. I don't know. Um, That's something that I would really like to figure out. I mean, I, I asked one of the members of Yale's public health kind of board about this the other day. It's the board that advises Stephanie Spangler. And they told me that they had no reason to believe that it wasn't accurate, but that they couldn't necessarily super vouch for the accuracy of the tracker. And it is something that at this point, you know, it cannot have stated exactly 76%, just considering how much we've seen cases fluctuate over the past couple of days. However, I do think it's something we've seen in the past where that dashboard isn't always accurate up to the minute. You know, they update things more slowly. Sometimes cases take a couple of days to show up. So I think with the tracker, it might just be an issue of data not being updated accurately enough. But I'd be curious to know what capacity actually is available, especially considering that the isolation in place policy was only supposed to go in once capacity started to fill up. Do you think that isolate in place policies are safe, considering infected students are still surrounded by their suite mates for brief periods of time in passing and while using the bathroom? I mean, as far as I know, and I'm obviously not a public health 
expert, but from who I've talked to, I think that in a from a public health standpoint, they're largely safe. I don't think that there is a ton of evidence of bathroom transmission is what I've been told. And the students are largely being kept in their rooms. I start to question them when I think about how hard it is just to be shut up in your room for days on end. I think it's probably... Although it's nice to stay in your own bed, it's a little bit less, more conducive to socialization to be in a place where everyone else has COVID and you can see other people and talk to them. And it's not sort of being like locked into solitary confinement in your room for all but a couple minutes a day. But that's more of like a mental health question of safety and less of a COVID question of safety. Given the recent spike in cases, do you think that the change of COVID-19 alert level from orange to yellow is premature? I think that the change in alert levels a lot of the time is kind of arbitrary. I mean, maybe that's something I shouldn't be saying, but I think that it's not like, you know, once they hit a certain case count, like it triggers automatically or once they hit a certain factor, it changes. I think that technically under orange, no gatherings, including classroom gatherings should be allowed. And so I think that it's likely that, you know, they wanted to resume classes when they said they were going to. And so they moved up to yellow because they thought that, you know, we could operate safely. But I don't think it was a situation where they jumped the gun. I think it's just the difference between orange and yellow is minor enough that they can keep things in check regardless. We've heard lots of concerns about food for those living in isolation housing. Do you think the university's current food policy is effective? It's interesting. I mean, I've talked to some people who have very different experiences from others. I know a lot of people have told me that people are just sort of largely ordering in, that they're giving, I think, pretty substantial credits, like Uber Eats credits, so people can bring food in. But obviously, you shouldn't be expected to be ordering takeout for every meal. In terms of the university provided food, I know that they're giving them the way it works is I think there's two drop-offs a day and it's like a frozen or maybe it's just one, but it's a frozen meal and a ready-made meal and then like oatmeal or something for the morning. I don't think it's super sparse. Like I think people are having enough to eat. I hope. I mean, I can't speak for them, but I do think it is interesting that they're putting them in a situation where they have the option to and are even expected to order in instead of eating university food. Do you have any predictions regarding changes or updates to isolation housing policies in the future? I don't really. Now that they moved into isolation in place, like my personal feeling is that they will keep it in isolation in place for a long time. I mean, we'll see how it works and hopefully they will, you know, work out the kinks of people being sent to isolation housing only if they're in singles and not in doubles. But I do imagine that because it is probably convenient for the school to have everyone sort of stay where they would be originally, that that'll stay in place for a while. But I really can't say what they'll do next. Things are changing all the time, obviously. And last but not least, and a question that a lot of us have been wondering, how do you have time to write so many articles? <laughs> Thank you. I don't know. I don't really. I do it instead of school, but it's okay. Um, yeah, there's no more to it than that. Thanks so much for joining us for a record third appearance, Lucy. Lucy's article, Cracks Appear in Isolation Policy as COVID-Positive Students Stay with Uninfected Roommates, is available in the university section of the YDN. That's it for the Yaley. We're your hosts, Georgiana Grinstaff and Nick Fillet. Stay tuned for our next episode of The Yaley. Thanks.